Welcome to the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. This show is dedicated to helping you manage your money better, invest wisely, retire early, and grow your wealth for you and your family and live your best life. My name is Tony Thomas, Charter Financial Planner, Pension Specialist, and Money Coach. I've advised thousands of people over the last 30 years. I'm going to share with you real life stories and everything that you need to know to build a financially secure future and a great lifestyle. If you enjoy the podcast, then feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Now let's dive into today's episode on the Tony Talks Wealth Podcast. I'm joined today by Marvin Storm. So Marvin, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Marvin is the host of the Business Exit Stories podcast, where Marvin interviews mergers and acquisition advisors, investment bankers, and business brokers who share the good, the bad, and some of the most unusual transactional deal stories you can imagine. So Marvin, please share with us your story and why every business owner needs to listen to your podcast. Well, maybe I can give it a little context of where the podcast came from and why I decided to do this. A while back, like a lot of your audience, I had a business, had worked in it a long time. I actually had acquired the business. I had had several businesses in my career and had exited those businesses but the scale of the exit was very manageable. However, the last exit that I had involved private equity. It involved, you know, individuals, bankers, you know, boards of directors, yeah, you know, yeah. a, a lot of things that I just wasn't that familiar with. And although the exit worked out fine, it was a laborious process with all the due diligence and everything. I thought I was just going to fade away, sail off into the sunset, take it easy. I found out very quickly, as I'm sure many people who have exited their business that have been at it a long time, they find out that the reality doesn't match the dream all the time. And that's kind of what happened to me. I got very bored. I picked up, I uh, live in, lived at that time in the San Francisco Bay Area and pulled up stakes and moved up to what is called the gold country in California, where they discovered gold, you know, back in the 1800s. And it's the Sierra foothills, uh, a much more rural environment, much more slower paced. And when you have your foot pressed to the pedal to the metal, after a while that gets a little bit monotonous and boring. I'm not a great golfer. Yeah. So that didn't really, you know, entice me, although I did go golfing once in a while, but it just didn't suit me. And I got to thinking, you know, uh, I listen to podcasts all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, thought, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that have that similar type of experience when they have sold the business. And so I thought, I'm going to start a podcast. Didn't know anything about podcasting but I listened to a lot of them. So I decided I would start a podcast and that's what I did. And I, I, my original thought was I'd interview people that had exited their businesses like me and have them share kind of their journey, their story, the things that they've learned. But very quickly I figured out that everyone thinks their business is so unique and different and 
their exit was the exit to end all exits. And it was really going to be tough to make that podcast engaging, interesting. And so I had this epiphany one day and I said, you know, why aren't I talking to the deal makers, the people that do this every day, all day long? Uh, these are you know, mergers and acquisition people, yep. business brokers, uh, investment bankers, you know, those, those type of people, transaction attorneys, CPAs. Anyway, I uh, did that. I had a little network of people that I knew in the business. And so I chatted with them and through the form, they told really engaging stories. And then I ran out of those folks and had to start, you know, networking and asking for referrals of other people that could appear on the podcast. And that's kind of how the podcast is involved. So the podcast really shares four transactional stories, but any guest has on the podcast. Some of these guests have been doing, you know, the acquisitions and mergers and acquiring and facilitating the deals for, you know, 20, 30 years. And they have a portfolio full of fascinating stories, really the good, uh, the bad, and some really ugly stories, yeah, really yeah. sad, heartbreaking stories of uh, what happens when someone doesn't execute at a very high level. They may be phenomenal entrepreneurs, you know, a founder of a company that they've taken from their garage up to, you know, hundreds of people of employment. And they are used to executing at a very high level. But when it comes to planning and figuring out what they're going to do to how to get out of the business, yeah, they don't do a very good job of it, primarily because you haven't done it before. It's a, it's a skill set, isn't it? It's a, you know, if, if you're not used to doing those things, then why would you automatically think that you're going to be good at that? So I think that's a mistake that we all make is, you know, experience and doing these things over and over again makes you good at whatever that is. So it's a, it doesn't come as a surprise to me. I've got lots of business owners in my portfolio of clients and they are similar. Most of the time, it's they're, they're afraid to think about exiting because they don't know what to do. Well, true. And, and you know, even though I'd had, you know, sold a business previously, as I said, the scale was, was much smaller. And when I, you know, thought of going through this process, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I made some assumptions, some of which were accurate. Some things I did pretty well. Other things I totally missed the boat. It was something I hadn't anticipated, I hadn't planned for. And the whole, the kind of the point is, is that it's not a mystery. You know, for your clients out there that have founded a business or maybe acquired or bought a business, uh, you figure it out. And then, as you mentioned a little earlier in your comment, you get comfortable with how to make money in your business. You know, once you figure it out, it isn't all that mysterious, regardless of the business that you're in, you figure out the process, you put in place people to execute that process. You figure out what your customers need and how to solve the problems. And you figure out how to innovate and change and adapt to competitive environments. As technology evolves, you you adapt with the technology, and you become pretty good at that. Yeah, and that's what entrepreneurs are generally pretty good at, of 
evaluating an ever-changing landscape. They do it on a routine, everyday basis. But when it comes to exiting, you're probably going to get one bite at the apple. You're going yeah. to yeah. stand at the, you know, here in the States, we have, you know, baseball. You're going to stand at the plate and you're going to take your bat and you're going to swing. And you're just going to get one swing at the ball. And you may hit a double, a triple, or perhaps a home run. And that's really what I've found is that there is a process in place that where you can hit doubles and triples. And occasionally, if things are done right, you can hit a home run. Because there are different types of buyers out there. And yeah. you have to figure out you know, what type of buyer you're going to be aiming for. And you should do that in advance. You know, you most business people figure out the who their what their customer profile is. Yeah. Uh, they know very specifically the type of people they're looking at. You know what their proclivities are. What they, you know, if they're going to be advertising to them, what they watch, what the messaging should be, what interests them, what their problems are, what solutions you need to provide for those problems. That you can solve as a business owner and you know buyers of businesses are somewhat the same way there are different type of buyers out there it was something that i didn't really grasp quite frankly i mean it's it's somewhat of a duh you should have been a that's pretty obvious yeah uh, but it's obvious uh, it's but not saying you don't know what you don't know isn't it yeah you know it didn't it didn't really you know wasn't it may have been on the fringes of the radar but it wasn't, you know, in the middle of my radar. And that's one thing that I could have done, executed at a lot better. It worked out fine, you know, primarily because of just luck, quite frankly. But as I went through it and thought about the process, and I hear this time and time again, as these guests on my podcast, you know, talk about their clients and, and how they very quickly identify, you know, what type of buyer they're going to go looking at, you know, depending on the size of the business has a big influence on that. What type of buyer, if it's a business that is going to be an owner operator type of business, that someone is going to step into the shoes of the entrepreneur and be involved on a day-to-day -day basis. That's an entirely different buyer. And you have to do different things to appeal to that buyer. The type of due diligence that they're going to be looking at is entirely different than a buyer that is a financial buyer yeah. that looks at your business, you know, private equity, or you know, the type of home, you know, family offices that yeah. you know, acquire certain types of businesses. They're looking at financial metrics, and so you have to be very like, dialed in to be able to have your financial metrics align with what they're looking for. And then you have strategic buyers, strategic buyers that are looking to maybe enter a new market geographically from where they are currently located. It may be adding a product line. Well, maybe your product or service fits nicely into their client base where they can offer you know, their clients, you know, a different product offering with very little additional marketing expense because they understand their, their clients, they understand what the needs are, 
And if they, if you can dial into that, then that becomes, you know, very intriguing to a, a strategic buyer. And generally speaking, strategic buyers will pay more than a financial buyer. So it just depends on what your, you know, your, your buyers are, are really looking for. And, yeah. um, I guess some of that is to do with uh, competition as well. Either buy the competition or make sure that um, you take the competition out uh, to some respect. So, uh, share with us some of the uh, sort of the stories that you've come across in terms, of obviously, the good, the bad, and as you described as the ugly, on some of the things that's gone well, always gone badly. You know, I'm sure there's lots of things that, or lots of stories you can share with us that you've uh, gleaned over the years. Well, I could and. You know, I'm not going to try to replicate what's on the podcast, but I'll, I'll share a couple of uh, stories that I think are instructive in what people miss and the assumptions they make, and it ends up, you know, costing them dearly. You know, a while back, I was interviewing uh, an advisor, it was an M&A advisor, and he had a client that had a, a long-standing business. And it was a business that was going very well. You know, the founder of the business, he'd been doing it for, you know, 25, 30 years. And as he moved toward that eventual decision of what he was going to do with the business, he engaged an advisor, a very competent advisor. And the advisor gave him some things that he needed to get in order, you know, the kind of the due diligence checklist that uh, every buyer is going to be looking at you know you go buy a car you you know consumers have a checklist they're they're looking at they're looking at you know the the ride they're looking at the gas mileage they're looking at the maintenance that they're going to have to spend on the car and you know maybe the brand and whether it's a luxury car or an economy car they have their checklist of what they're looking for and a buyer has the same thing they have a checklist of what they're looking for well one of the things that the advisor shared with this very egotistical entrepreneur was that there were a couple of key people in his company that were highly crucial to the uh, success of the business. And, you know, the advisor recommended that he offer a signing bonus when the business was transferred to the new buyer, which was going to be a strategic buyer, uh, that they make sure that this person is locked in and that there is an employment agreement in place. And they said, well, you know, I'm personal friends with these people. They've been with me for decades. You know, they're very loyal to me. They're very committed to the business. I pay them very well. They're at the top of the pay. I give them bonuses every year. They make hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary and bonuses, and I provide them great benefits. They're, you know, they don't need, I'm not going to pay them another $100,000, you know, just to, for the opportunity to stay with the business. They, they've been well compensated. And the advisor said, you know, I really recommend that you tie them in for three years and uh, we offer them. A, and so this was the specific recommendation. They offer them 125000 It would be paid at $50,000 upon execution of the contract. In a year, they would be paid another $25,000. 
And then at the end, they would be paid another $50,000 if they stayed, you know, for the three-year period of time. And the entrepreneur just came unglued. He said, that's absolutely, you know, hockey puck. You know, that's, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You know, they've, they've been paid well. And I'm not, I, I'm just not going to do that. And the advisor says, you know, you real, I, based on my experience, you really should do this. And he says, I'm not going to do it. And so there was no employment contract. Uh, they had an employment contract agreed to and drafted for the new buyer to come in to sign this person up. And they gave him a bump in salary, which was a, not, a, a fairly good bump, you know, mm -hmm. 20, 30% more than he was currently making. But the, the employee, the key employee that this business really hinged, he was kind of the chief operating officer of, of the business that made the business run because the entrepreneur went to the bank very frequently, but he spent a lot of time off out of the office and he had created a management structure around that he didn't need to be. And that's, that's essentially what he did, which is why there's a good business effectively. That's what he do. But he had this one person that was key. It was the, you know, the oil that made the machine run. And kind of the, the trains leave on time because this person was there. And he very quickly figured out that he was important to the transaction. So to make a long story short, when it came time to get to the closing table and they were there and the, the buyer was there, the, the entrepreneur was there, the advisor was there, the attorneys on both sides were at the closing and no employee. No key employee. So it didn't close that day. And they got a hold of him. And he said he had contacted an attorney. And the attorney had advised him that when they figured out that he was key to closing this deal, he wanted a half a million dollars paid up front in order to sign the new employment agreement. And the, the founder just went ballistic and wasn't going to pay it. And the buyers basically said, well, okay, we're, we're out of here. We're not, we're not buying this business. And begrudgingly, eventually out of his proceeds, he had to write a check for a half a million dollars uh, to this key employee. That was a friend loyal, never would ever consider doing something like this. But once he figured out how important and crucial he was to the transaction, he leveraged that power that he had into a half a million dollar check. And the deal did eventually close and he got his money. He got his new employment contract. As far as I know, the business is continuing to do extraordinarily well. And you know, we have our entrepreneur that's uh, half a million dollars lighter than he was before he should have executed that $100,000, $120,000, you know, employment agreement and bonus and retention bonus that he, he would have paid. It would have saved him a lot of grief and a lot yeah. of money. And, yeah. and, and I, I can tell you that there are situations that it doesn't turn out that well. Just walk away because they figure they're going to have a disgruntled employee at that point in time. And he's not going to be as happy because he was forced into something and the buyers walk away and the value dissipates overnight. Yeah. I was going to say in, uh, I can see why in the majority of cases that deal uh, would have simply just fallen flat and disappeared. So oh, to some extent, yeah. even lucky that that deal went through full stop. 
but it cost him at least three times more uh, than what you would have had to spend if you took the advice of the advisor. Yeah, well, you know, if, if he got lucky, in my opinion, he got lucky. Yeah, I think you're you right. Know, that the buyer just didn't pull up stakes. And generally what happens in those type of situations is that it takes so much effort and time and emotional energy that you go through to fulfill all the due diligence requirements yeah. uh, of an acquiring company or, or individual or group that you get emotionally spent and you you're so focused on not the business and the business loses momentum and that's just another issue that you have to be aware of is because once you start losing altitude and you start those sales to make a, a peak and they start down the other side that's not a healthy sign and that will really freak out almost any type of acquiring company or group they will then start to ask questions of why you know and it may be the simple fact that the entrepreneur is so tied up in due diligence he's just taking his eye off the ball and there's really nothing systemic wrong with the business but buyers will make all sorts of demands at that point in time because there is a decrease in sales and uh, profitability or the margins erode or whatever those situations are and that's just one of those things that is predictable there's a process that you need to put in place to make sure that that does not happen because it's predictable and if something is predictable and it's manageable and you can put in you know strategies and tactics to make sure that that doesn't happen then it's very you know very manageable and it, it won't happen unless there's something outside of your control you know in the economy or a yeah. competitor or something time comes in in. The economy or something yeah. like the pandemic happens yeah well that, that, you you would have thought at least here in the states the united states here we're experiencing just a you know counterintuitive what's going on right now uh, because the MA uh, world in this part of the globe is uh, just on fire uh, because in our federal reserve bank has pumped so much money into the economy and there's so much pent-up demand right now is that there are more money chasing deals and there are good deals to be had and so it's a heady time but that will change you know as everything always does change yeah it's uh, I, I fear that from something i spoke to early in the week and uh, they mentioned uh, the demand obviously in the in the states is, uh, is huge at the moment because as you described money being pumped into the into the economy not quite the same in the uk at the moment you've mentioned obviously that there is a a process that all business owners and entrepreneurs need to go through when they are going to be selling their business. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that process? Yeah, well, it's it's something that it kind of evolved out of talking to so many of uh, the advisors, and we have hundreds of stories that are shared on the podcast, and you know, it just really is fascinating how the different types of businesses, the different size of businesses that are sold and and acquired by different types of buyers. It's amazing that the type 
key components that almost is you know, generic to mm. every transaction. Yeah. And I got a, a lot of feedback from the listeners who are entrepreneurs like uh, your client base that have, have businesses and have, you know, virtually a great percentage, if not all of their net worth tied up in a business. And, you know, they are going to be able to, you know, they look for ideas, they look for tips, they look for, you know, people to help them along the journey. And so I developed kind of an acronym called Parachute. And so I'm writing a book right now called Pack Your Parachute. And it's, you know, the metaphor of, you know, a pilot in a plane always has his parachute packed and uh, ready to go. He doesn't try to pack the parachute when the plane gets in trouble and the engines are on fire and he's losing altitude and he's trying to pack that parachute. Uh, it doesn't work very well. So if you have your parachute already packed and all the things, and I've, I've created an acronym, you know, along that pack your parachute starting out with P and that's to be prepared. Yeah. And, you know, so I'll offer your listeners, you know, an opportunity to, you know, get a, I, I'm going to be publishing the book probably in the first part of 2022. And I'm in the process of, the, you know, you know, writing the, the book right now. And I've written a, a lot of the book, but it, it's really around the nine steps that people, if they follow these nine steps, they are, they can literally increase their value by 50 to 100% right. uh, of their business. And it's not mysterious. It's, it's something that people can do on their own. But, you know, most people don't. Uh, they wait to the last minute. What I found is that generally uh, people, start thinking about exiting their business when there's a triggering event in their life. Triggering event may be illness, yeah. it may be a divorce, it yeah. may be a problem with a partner, it may be the economy or a competitor, it may be simple burnout. Yeah, yeah. You know, that uh, is a triggering event. That, and then they the, that triggering or triggering event is generally they want to execute an exit in a very short time window. And that's when the fire drill starts generally. And sometimes, you know, that window has a timeline on it because of a health issue or something like that. Yeah. It's got to be executed within a specific timeline, and you just can't execute when you're scrambling very well. Instead of a methodical plan process that you put in place several years before. I think people should start planning, you know, three to five years in advance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. T- totally agree with that, sir. Yeah, so, so I think one of the other things I've gleaned, again, from my um, limited experience in this market is uh, you need to have the right uh, team of people around you as well. So I don't that's, one, that, that's, that's one of those, you know, that's the, that'll be in the book, you know, is that, you know, you, you have to take the entrepreneur has to take himself out of the, the operational role of the business on a day-to-day basis. He has to surround himself with qualified, highly motivated people that are competent and can execute the business and let the, the entrepreneur focus on, you know, looking around the corner, what, what's coming next and, you know, playing a strategic role in the business versus being there on a day-to-day basis you said and i don't think it's any mystery again i don't think it's 
an issue where this is something that is hard to understand. Uh, most people, most entrepreneurs do it intuitively anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but some entrepreneurs, uh, I would say 30, 40% of the listening audience that I have are entrepreneurs that just love the, the engagement in the business. They love the sales process. They love the operational component of the business. They, they, they love some part of their business where they spend all their time. And without them being there, you know, the wheels come off and they have to extract themselves from that. They need to, to have people that can do what they do. And it's, it's really critical. And almost any buyer, if the, the entrepreneur is critical to the business, that's a risk factor. And when you have risk, a perception of risk, real or perceived, uh, risk will drive down value very quickly. The less risk you can show a buyer, the higher the value that you're going to be able to monetize your business for. Yeah, that was the question I was going to ask you. Obviously, you've mentioned now a few times that way you can increase the value of the business. So I think for me to, uh, more importantly, for my listeners to understand, how do you actually increase the value of the, the, uh, the sale of the business? So there are, again, similar to what you've mentioned, there, there must also be a few key components uh, that are sort of vital for increasing the values. Yeah, the, 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 you know, the key components is something like that you've mentioned, you know, yeah. the, you know, your key people, you know, preparation is certainly important. Oddly enough. Know. Yeah. You know, so all, all of these things, they, they fold into a, a process and a system that works well if they're, if you methodically execute them. Okay. I don't know if you are able to, but is there any sort of very unusual or disastrous stories that you can share with us? Yeah. You know, I, I've had, you know, one of the guests on my shared a story about a waste management. They were in the waste management business and the founder had uh, been in the business for 30 years and he had planned to transition his one of his children into the business to run the business and that had gone very well and they had an acquirer that made an offer on the business it was an attractive offer but the you know founder got in, had a health scare and so he kind of took his eye off of the ball and the uh, daughter that had come in to take over the business had worked in the business for a long time. And she had had her big ideas on how they were going to grow the business. And she really didn't want to sell the business. You know, the offer came in unsolicited. Uh, it was a strategic buyer that wanted to enter that market and was looking to do a roll-up or acquire companies, and they were a publicly funded company, and they offered, you know, a strategic value, which was way far more than the business at the time was actually worth. But they wanted that because the, this company was the largest player uh, in that market and they wanted to acquire and enter that market and leverage their 
you know, back office and their financial resources yeah. to become even more dominant in the area. So they were willing to pay up for that. But the daughter didn't want to have new owner telling her kind of what to do. She, her, her belief was that she could do it on her own. Um, because she had worked in the business for you know, more than a decade. She was highly educated. Uh, she was chomping at the bit to you know, have a crack at doing and improving on what her father did. Her father was pre, uh, you know, dealing with his own issues, with health issues at the time. So he had kind of checked out of the business and she got her father to uh, agree not to sell the business even though it was such an attractive offer. She, she, she would have not had any financial worries and she could have gone on and done something else with, with the money she would have reaped from her ownership share in the business. They turned down the offer. 18 months later, the business went to zero. They acquired the number two player. This buyer acquired the number two player, put all their financial resources into it, brought in an aggressive sales team. They picked off all of a lot of their top clients. And because of the high overhead in this type of business, they had lost so much revenue in such a short period of time. They had bank loans that were called and you know, it just got really ugly very quickly. And the business went to zero. They ended up closing the business. So the lenders foreclosed on the business and liquidated it for asset value. Wow. And uh, all within less than two years. And so, you know, that's one of those really sad, heartbreaking story, you know, a lifetime of work, 30 years of work from the founder to build a, a name and a brand. And um, it just, you know, strategic decision like that sometimes don't turn out all that well. There's a moral there. What was the owner actually reliant on the sale of the business for from a from a retirement sort of funding? Absolutely, absolutely. His retirement plans went up in smoke. Alt- mm-hmm. And at the time, he, it, was, it was it was a big blow. Yeah, uh, to, you know, to to him and the family. Uh, there were there were three other children in the business that had ownership in the business. You know, and that was their you know nest egg and. All of that disappeared, and the family dynamics on on that decision, because the other children wanted to sell, they wanted to you know capture their inheritance in advance yeah. type of situation, and uh, the daughter prevailed on her father, who controlled the company, and she ended up taking it. You know that decision ended up taking it to zero, or virtually zero. There, it was liquidated for you know debt and asset value. A real sad story, so heartbreaking. Yeah, heartbreaking. absolutely. So I think it just highlights some of the these decisions that are made. Uh, if you get it right, it can be uh, a dream, uh, but if you get it wrong, it's an absolute nightmare, and anything can go wrong. Yeah, and, and on the other side of the coin, you know, I've you know had situations where you know the the stories go end entirely differently. You go to market thinking you're going to get. X for your business and your advisor and some of the people that you surround yourself with, if they're really competent and understand the strategic value and they can take time to position the business appropriately and approach the right buyers and create an auction, a bidding situation. I have a story that it was a manufacturing company 
that was dominant in their little niche. And the, you know, the advisor recommended that they, you know, take some time and prepare the business and focus on some of their product lines and improve the margins on some of those product lines. And, uh, so the, 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 the partners in this case, took the advice, they took about 18 months and they figured at the time they were looking to sell their business was around 20 million in, in value at the yeah. time. And the advisor was able to, you know, reduce some of the products that were not performing and increase the margins on some of the other products. They kind of streamlined their product line that really enhanced the profitability of the business and the margins in the business, which were attractive. And they uh, went to market and they approached some of the bigger players in this uh, niche that this would have been a, you know, kind of a bolt-on acquisition where all these companies had, they had some proprietary patent products. And with, with that leverage, they pitted the several buyers against each other and they created, they, did, they, went, they didn't go to market with you know, a price, they went to market with an offering saying, this is what we're offering, make your best bid. And they went through three rounds of bids and the business ended up selling for $120 million. You know, because one of the, one of the acquirers, you know, had this customer base that they would be able to monetize this particular product that was patented. Yeah, uh, they would be able to monetize that to their existing customer base for tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars on an annual basis in revenue, and they they way overbid anyone else because they didn't know what everyone else was bidding because it's a blind bidding process, and they way they bid it up substantially. So when I asked the advisor that was a guest on the podcast to share his 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 that home run story, that's the story that he shared. It went from $20 million to $120 million. Yeah. A normal sale. So it's a real success story for the, uh, the seller. Hopefully yeah. that business is going from strength to strength from the buyer's point of view. So. Yeah, well, it, 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 it comes down to, again, it's the process. Yeah. You know, the the... the Strategies that were applied in this particular situation are the same strategies that would apply to a business that's worth a million dollars. If you yeah. you just take a look at who, who the buyer is going to be, I mentioned that earlier in our discussion here, is that you have to figure out who's the likely buyer and what would they be interested in? What do I have that would be of interest to somebody else out there? And what can I do to leverage that a little bit. And if you have time to plan, in this case, it was 18, 24 months, you know, to plan. They kind of streamlined their operation to appeal to that buyer. And they were able to create that urgency and create a competitive bidding situation. Yeah, but it demonstrates if you follow the process and you follow it correctly, then obviously the the X times of the sale value can go you know, vastly above what your expectations are. And you've also given an example of when, maybe not through the process, but obviously through poor decision-making, that has gone totally the other way around. 
Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I think it just, I think it proves the point is that there is a right way and a wrong way of selling the business. But you need to be prepared. You need to follow the process, and if you do that, you've got every chance of getting a good value for your business, and it's sold in the right way that everybody is happy. Because that's at the end of the day, it's going to be right for the buyer. It's going to be right for the seller. That's right. And, you know, part of that process is figuring out, you know, like someone in your position, yeah. you know, what are you going to do with the money once you get it? Yeah, that's yeah. another you that, know, key component. That, of that is where I come in. Is, yeah, I yeah. come into, to, into the, the frame when people have had the money or about to have the money and what they do with that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the, uh, the part I come into the equation. Marvin, it's um, been great listening to you and the stories that you've shared. If people want to connect with you or listen to the podcast, where is the best uh, places to find it? Yeah, it's just uh, the website, the podcast. You can go on Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and just type in Business Exit Stories. You can also go to the website, businessexitstories.com, and subscribe to the podcast, and you can listen to all the stories and have a lot of takeaways. You can also go to my website, just my personal name, marvinlstorm.com. Uh, just my personal website that you can go to and it has links to the podcast there that you know you can get information there too on how to subscribe to the podcast or my upcoming book and things of that nature all right great i will share all the links on the the show notes etc both on uh, the podcast platforms and also on youtube so people can find that for you or before we go, there's always a question I like to ask all of my guests. And so it would be remiss of me if I didn't ask you the same question. Uh, and that question is, what does wealth mean to you? Well, I'll, I'll answer that question. And it's a great question because, you know, wealth isn't really, in my opinion, in, the, in, in sort of the things that make you motivated and happy. For an entrepreneur, you know, wealth is running their business. They, they, they love what they do. That's a kind of a common trait most entrepreneurs have. They, they're wealthy because it's not work to them. They just love what they do and it's hard to give that up. I think the, the definition of wealth, you know, post-exit is to find something that you can help other people. I think that's where true joy comes from. And when you have joy, I think you, you, you create the, not only monetary wealth, but the wealth on a personal level of helping others. I think that's the, the thing that most of my entrepreneurs at Exit, you know, kind of ask the question, what's next? And a lot of them find that it's time to use their skills and talents to, to benefit others around them and to make the lives of others better. And I think that's what true wealth is, is when you can make a difference uh, in other people's lives. Yeah, no, I can resonate uh, fully with those because uh, a few of those things you mentioned, uh, you know, I tick all those boxes myself. I love what I do. I can't see me ever wanting to uh, not do it. Or if I do, it will be because I'm forced to, usually because of ill health of myself or my family. But I will keep going for as long as I can. Marvin, this has been great. I really appreciate you uh, letting me share some of my thoughts with your audience. And- oh, 
I've really enjoyed it. And I know my audience is going to love uh, some of the stories that you've uh, shared with us as well, because I think it's really important for people to approach exiting in the right way. And there is definitely the right, or there's a process to do this in the right way. Uh, but if you don't uh, prepare or, or follow that process, you can come uh, unstuck and you can come unstuck very badly as uh, one of the stories that you've already illustrated. So really appreciate you sharing those stories with us. So Marvin, thanks again. I wish you all the very best in everything that you do. And take care. Again, thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can find links to everything that we've discussed in the show notes. And if you'd like to know more about what I do or see more great money tips to build a secure and a happy lifestyle, then you can find all of these on my website, ttwealth.co.uk, on my YouTube channel, TTWealth. If you want to work with me, then why not book a free 30-minute call to find out how? You can also follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I also produce a bi-monthly newsletter, TT Wealth News, which contains practical money tips that is free for you to download from my website. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't hesitate to leave a review. Of course, the more stars, the better. And equally, sharing is caring. So if you've heard something that you've enjoyed and you think will benefit someone you know, then please do share with them. I'm sure they will appreciate it. So it's goodbye until next time. And remember, live for today, invest for tomorrow.